Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 19. Today, a new Macy's Tower, the Empire State Building opens, and Grant's tomb is dedicated. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Today we'll be looking at stories related to some of the tallest buildings in the city and following up on some news stories we've covered in previous weeks. 106 years ago, on April 24, 1913, the Woolworth Building opens, becoming the tallest building in the world for 17 years. It's the most famous building designed by celebrated architect Cass Gilbert and was not only a piece of art, but a revolutionary step in skyscraper history, still standing as one of the tallest buildings in Lower Manhattan. Although Woolworth's department stores may be gone, a bit of their legacy remains in malls across the country. In 1963, Woolworths purchased Kinney Shoes, a company founded in 1894 in upstate New York. After a decline in Woolworth department stores in the 1980s and 90s, the company focused on developing smaller brands of shoe stores. Following acquisitions of Champs Sports and East Bay, one brand of smaller shoe stores would prove successful, and by November 2, 2001, the former Woolworth company would rename itself Foot Locker. April 27th is former President Ulysses S. Grant's birthday, and the day also serves as the dedication day of Grant's tomb in Morningside Park. 122 years ago, in 1897, on what would have been Grant's 75th birthday, Grant's tomb is first dedicated, serving as his final resting place. In a letter to then-New York City Mayor William Grace, Grant's wife, Julia, explained that the choice of New York City instead of Washington, D.C. was due to her husband's wish for a memorial that would also serve as his wife's resting place, a practice that was prohibited in military cemeteries. Since Mayor Grace had offered space in New York City and she planned to live out her life in the city, Julia Grant chose the location over a federal site. Eighty years ago, in 1939, Grant's tomb was dedicated a second time after extensive renovations done by the Works Progress Administration and the Federal Art Project. The event was held 42 years after the first dedication and would have been General Grant's 117th birthday. And 22 years ago in 1997, Grant's tomb is dedicated a third time after advocacy efforts secure National Park Service funds to refurbish the monument after it had fallen into disrepair. The dedication took place on the 100th anniversary of the monument and would have been General Grant's 175th birthday. New York serves as the resting place for former President Grant, but 230 years ago, on April 30, 1789, New York was really the center of it all when George Washington was inaugurated as the first U.S. president at Federal Hall on Wall Street. New York City was the capital of the U.S. until 1790, when the government moved to Philadelphia. The original Federal Hall building was torn down in 1812, and the current one was built in 1842 and features a bronze statue of George Washington that was unveiled in 1883. The inauguration came just days after George Washington had moved into the first presidential mansion, the Samuel Osgood House, near the base of the Brooklyn Bridge. Washington lived in the Osgood House until February 1790 when he moved to the larger Alexander Macomb House in Lower Manhattan. Both the first and second presidential mansions have since been demolished. 
Here's a bit more baseball history like we covered on episode 17, 72 years ago on April 27, 1947. Babe Ruth Day is held at Yankee Stadium to celebrate the record-breaking baseballer in front of 58,339 fans. The great Bambino was in ailing health and his voice was reduced to a raspy whisper, but he would make two more appearances at Yankee Stadium before cancer took his life in 1948 at the age of 53. Back in February on episode 10 of the podcast, we covered Macy's downsizing and plans to move more employees to office space in Long Island City. This week, Bloomberg News learned that Macy's had been in talk with the city concerning building a new office tower on top of the 117-year-old department store. The construction would be an attempt to extract more value out of the real estate occupied by the massive building. The proposal is similar to plans that Macy's has toyed with in recent years, when it is variously planned for two towers, filled with either commercial or hotel space, or even a rooftop garden that would be open to the public. A city official speaking to CNBC stated that the company has not yet submitted any plans to the city concerning new construction. You may wonder why Macy's never shows up on our daily wrap-up of New York businesses on the stock market report. Although Macy's was founded in 1858 in New York and their flagship store is located in Herald Square, the company is actually based in Cincinnati, Ohio as a result of a 1994 merger with Cincinnati-based Federated Department Stores. Seventy-nine years ago, on April 28, 1940, Pennsylvania 65,000 is first recorded by the Glenn Miller Orchestra. The song would go on to become a jazz standard and make one of New York's phone numbers internationally known. The title references the style of using a word to remember a phone number's first digits, with the P-E from Pennsylvania representing numbers beginning 7-3 in the area around Penn Station. Combined with Manhattan's area code, the number would be 212-736-5000, which will still, to this day, connect you to the Hotel Pennsylvania. Here's the Ithaca High School Chamber Orchestra, under the direction of Bill Macon, performing Pennsylvania 65000 for their winter concert in 2016.
80 years ago on April 30, 1939, the first New York World's Fair opens at Flushing Meadows Corona Park. Over the year and a half it was open, 44.9 million people would attend the fair. For a much more in-depth history of the fair, have a listen to the latest Bowery Boys podcast from April 18th, where Greg and Tom describe what it would have been like to tour the fairgrounds and some of the attractions you could have seen. On last week's episode, we covered the disappearance of Aton Pates in 1979 and Pedro Hernandez's confession to murdering the young boy. May 25th, the day of Aton's disappearance, is commemorated as National Missing Children's Day each year, and the day is expanded worldwide with May 25th also observed as International Missing Children's Day. A similar event is coming up on May 4th with the 5th Annual New York City Missing Persons Day, where families and friends of missing persons can speak with city officials to help guide them through providing more information about a missing person and receiving emotional support to cope with the stress of losing contact with someone. The event will take place this Saturday, May 4th, at the offices of the Medical Examiner in the Hearst Building at 1st Avenue and 26th Street in Manhattan. See the link in the show notes for full information and directions to the building. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database currently shows 215 people missing within the five boroughs, dating from 75 years ago to just two weeks ago. A year's worth of modified L-Train service begins Friday, April 26th, as damage from Hurricane Sandy is repaired in the East River Tunnel, and the MTA has posted a Twitter thread with info on upcoming changes and also a bit of a warning. Peak and weekday service will remain the same, with maintenance and reconstruction taking place on nights and weekends. Trains will run every 20 minutes from Manhattan to Lorimer, and every 10 minutes east of Lorimer, And the MTA suggests taking basically any other train line or any other form of transportation to avoid overcrowding the limited number of trains. An animation provided by the MTA shows how trains will need to sidestep each other as one direction of the tracks in the tunnel are shut down, with east and westbound trains alternating and sharing one set of tracks. Even with the 20-minute spacing between trains, the MTA warns that trains may arrive too full to board, and they strongly suggest using other train lines that will have increased service during the construction. This weekend will be the first test of the less-than-total shutdown plan that Governor Cuomo proposed, and we'll keep an eye open for any further changes to the service plan as construction is scheduled to last into next year. If you're an L-Train rider, get in touch at agreatbigcity.com contact and let us know how you're dealing with the changes and if the delays have caused changes to your routine. While you're standing on the platform waiting for the next L train to appear, check your Metro card this week for a chance to win a trip to Hawaii. The 250,000 special edition light blue cards will be distributed by select Metro card machines from April 23rd to April 30th, and the unique code printed on the card may win you a vacation to Hawaii when redeemed at hawaii.nyc. One of the top New York attractions and the former tallest building in the world officially opened on May 1, 1931, when the Empire State Building opened for business. Led by former New York State Governor Alfred E. Smith, construction began on March 17, 1930, on the Midtown site where the Waldorf Astoria once stood. 410 days later, the 102-story building was finished. 
Compare this to the 615-day construction time for the Chrysler Building, which had opened the previous year. At the Empire State Building ribbon cutting, a ceremonial lighting of the lobby lights was performed by President Hoover via telegram from the White House in Washington, D.C., with the President stating that the building, quote, must long remain one of the outstanding glories of a great city, unquote. And so it has. Back in 2016, the building lit up like a birthday candle in celebration of its 85th anniversary, but there doesn't seem to be any special lighting planned this year. Just two weeks after this anniversary, the building will host the Empire State Building run-up on May 14th, when runners will race up 86 floors to the top of the building. Did you know that on a clear day from the top of the Empire State Building, you can see New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Massachusetts? Now, some updates on the attempted attack at St. Patrick's Cathedral we covered on episode 18 of the podcast. The 37-year-old suspect, Mark Lamparello, is still under evaluation at Bellevue to determine whether he is emotionally disturbed and whether he will be mentally able to appear in court. Lamparello attempted to enter St. Patrick's with gas cans and lighters just days after a devastating fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, but new details of his previous disruption at a church in Newark may shed more light on his motives for the attack. When Lamparello refused to leave the pews of Cathedral Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Newark, he reportedly yelled, quote, God wants me to be here. I know all the sins the priests have committed, unquote. In addition to a $2,800 plane ticket Lamparello had purchased to Rome, Assistant District Attorney David Stewart revealed that Lamparello had also reserved a hotel room in Rome just 20 minutes away from the Vatican. And now here's a fun, strange story to end on, and probably one of the funniest stories I've ever found when searching through old newspapers for New York history. From the front page of the New York Tribune for April 26, 1921, a perplexing headline. Baby blown 20 feet by bomb. Found smiling. The Gehrig family from Manhattan was visiting their relatives out on Rockaway Point and had put their seven-month-old baby in a crib on the front porch. At the nearby Rockaway Point Naval Station, there was testing of a, quote, experimental bomb underway, and the explosion over Jamaica Bay sent a strong concussion wave across the neighborhood. When the baby's uncle ran to the porch to check on the child, they found little Maxwell Gehrig had been knocked out of the crib and landed some 20 feet away in a patch of tall grass. With no other explanation of how the child could have traveled so far, the family could only assume that the large blast had knocked the baby out into the yard. However he ended up there, the baby appeared uninjured and was in good spirits. One can only assume that the Gehrig family was happy to make it back to the safety of Manhattan that day. It appears that baby Maxwell may have stayed in the city. The 1940 census from 20 years later shows a Maxwell Gehrig that was 20 years old at the time and living in Brooklyn, possibly with a newspaper clipping of his childhood adventure tucked away in a box of keepsakes. The Rockaway Naval Air Station, in addition to testing bombs in Jamaica Bay, was also the departure point for the first transatlantic flight just two years earlier. The land is now part of the Gateway National Recreation Area. A Great Big City has been bringing you 24-hour news feeds since 2010, but we'll need the support of individual donors and sponsors to keep bringing you this podcast. 
Individuals can make a one-time or monthly contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And local businesses can speak directly to a New York audience while also showing their commitment to local news. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. A Great Big City is more than a news blog. Did you know that every day at sundown, A Great Big City automatically checks the lighting schedule for the Empire State Building and sends out an alert, letting you know how the building will be lit and what the lights represent. Park of the Day Captain Rivera Playground at East 156th Street and Forest Avenue in Woodstock in the Bronx. Formerly called the St. Mary's House's Playground, this park honors Captain Manuel Rivera Jr., a Bronx native and the first New Yorker killed in the Persian Gulf War. In 1991, Mayor Giuliani funded a $900,000 renovation that added basketball courts, bathrooms, an adult fitness course, and handball courts that honored the sport that Rivera enjoyed when he was young. Cherry trees are blooming across the city, and the Brooklyn Botanic Garden is celebrating with their Cherry Blossom Festival this Saturday, April 27th. A full schedule of events are planned for the weekend festival, with taiko drumming, folk dancing performances, martial arts demonstrations, and a marketplace of Japanese products. Tickets are required, and only a limited number will be sold, so visit bbg.org and search for Sakura Matsuri or Cherry Blossom Festival. And now let's see what our robot friend will be drumming up this weekend on the concert calendar. Here's the AGBC concert calendar for this weekend. Donova, Domingong, Elder, Mira Queen, Monolord, The Atomic Bitch Wax, The Skull, Wind Hand, and Worshipper are playing the well on Friday, April 26. Pup, Diet Sig and Rat Boy are playing Brooklyn Steel on Friday, April 26. Orville Peck is playing elsewhere on Friday, April 26. Hot Water Music, Air Type 11, and Iron Sheik are playing Music Hall of Williamsburg on Friday, April 26. Now Now, Daddy Issues, and Foxing are playing Warsaw on Friday, April 26. Alice. The Amatory Murder, and Zris Smack are playing the Delancey on Friday, April 26. Chris Christofferson is playing City Winery on Sunday, April 28. Will Haven, Architect, Locked in a Vacancy, and Nerve Shatter are playing St. Vitus Bar on Sunday, April 28. Sasami is playing elsewhere on Tuesday, April 30. The Mountain Goats and Shauna Cleveland are playing Brooklyn Steel on Tuesday, April 30th. Kalma, Vride, and Winter Nights are playing Gramercy Theatre on Tuesday, April 30th. Stephen Malkmus is playing 92nd Street Y on Tuesday, April 30th. Patty Smith is playing Webster Hall on Wednesday, May 1st. And Infest, Scapegoat, and The Fight are playing The Kingsland on Friday, May 3rd. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. One World Trade Center is the tallest building in New York City, but the second tallest building, 432 Park Avenue, 
actually has a higher roof, since Midtown is at a higher elevation compared to Lower Manhattan. The extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history? A record high of 92 degrees Fahrenheit on April 26, 2009, and a record low of 29 degrees on April 23, 1872. Weather for the week ahead, light rain throughout the week, with high temperatures bottoming out at 56 degrees on Sunday. As summer gets closer, ultraviolet light levels are starting to climb into the high and very high categories on clear days, so now is the time to start protecting your skin and eyes from ultraviolet radiation, which will be higher during the summer months. Look for a skin protectant that is at least SPF 50 and labeled as broad spectrum, and wear sunglasses if you'll be venturing outside the shadowy caverns of Midtown. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of a great big city.